You're listening to the McKinsey on Consumer and Retail podcast, featuring wide-ranging conversations on the topics that matter most in the consumer and retail industries. I'm your host, Monica Toriello. Hi, everyone. We are back with one more episode before 2023 comes to a close. And our topic for this episode is a super important one for retailers, and it's one that's been in the news quite a bit in recent months, and that is retail shrink or shrinkage. It's an issue that has a significant impact on retailers' bottom lines. And here with us today to discuss retail shrink and some of the solutions for addressing it are two people who have worked alongside many retailers on exactly this problem. So let me briefly introduce them. Mark Ibbotson has been a McKinsey Senior Advisor for the past two years. And prior to that, he spent seven years at Walmart US, most recently as the Executive Vice President in charge of Central Operations in Real Estate. And in that role, Mark's responsibilities included innovation, process improvement, and asset protection and safety. And before that, he was COO at ASDA. Thanks for joining us today, Mark. Thank you for inviting me, Monica. It's very good of you. And Bill Mutel is a McKinsey partner based in Atlanta. Bill has advised grocers, drugstore retailers, restaurant chains, and other types of retail companies on a range of sales and operations topics. And he has also written a number of articles on store operations, including an article on shrink, which you can read on McKinsey.com. Thanks for being here, Bill. Thank you for having me, Monica. It's great to talk with you again. Let's start by defining terms, right? So that we're all on the same page. Because some people think of retail shrink or shrinkage as synonymous with theft or shoplifting. But shrink is a much broader term, right? That encompasses, yes, theft, but also other things. So Define for us what retail shrink means, what it encompasses, and also how retailers measure it. It's interesting you mentioned theft, Monica, because that that is one part of shrink. But, you know, another part of this that's almost equally the same size we often find is things like waste and spoilage. So when things go bad, actually, because you've ordered too much of it or because the traffic hasn't exactly met the demand levels you were expecting, That's another example of shrink. One of the very first questions that we do when we sit down with retailers around the world is we simply ask the question that you just did, which is how do you define shrink within your company? Because what we find is that this definition really varies quite a bit beyond simply when you include theft and when you include the the waste piece of this. Examples beyond that will vary quite a bit. For example, some retailers will include things like markdowns. The other piece of this is called paper shrink, right? Paper shrink is is the delta between what your book inventory says that you have and what you actually end up having there. And that can come from a lot of different places. That can come from variances in suppliers. That can come from variances in weights and measures of things as they come through the retail channel and how they're sold. It's a really interesting question because we often find that retailers don't necessarily have a consistent definition of this, which is also why I think in the industry, there's a lot of confusion and skepticism when retailers point to shrink as one of the reasons why they're missing on their bottom lines. The question in of itself requires a question. You know, what is your definition of shrink? And, you know, there is total retail loss. What's the difference between what I expect and what I get, and everything that Bill says is in that that number. And the definition of shrink for me 
is shrink is unknown loss. I don't know where I lost it. Waste is known loss. Markdown is known loss. I know what happened. The thing about shrink in other retailers, they'll define it as I don't know where I lost it and I do know where I lost it. So this is where, as Bill points out, this is where people become skeptical. It becomes misunderstood. There's some big numbers out there. First off, setting a standard would be a very positive thing. How we measure this and how we quantify it. Theft is a big part of shrink. And the rule of thumb traditionally was 50% of your shrink number, your unknown loss, I didn't know where it went, was theft. And 50% of it was process errors, book stock errors, price change errors. I think that balance post-COVID is probably closer to 60-40 now. But just to blame theft is probably a little bit simple. It's a very nebulous problem. It breaks down in the store. It's in the supply chain, it's in e-commerce, and it's in the corporate home office as well. So you have to look at the four big buckets and then from there define your strategy. And the 60-40 numbers is interesting. I saw recently that the NRF says that just over a third of retail shrink last year, and this is the US obviously, right? 36% of shrink last year was due to external theft, whether that's shoplifting or organized retail crime. And, you know, some of the measures that retailers have taken to address this issue are, are very visible, right? In some drugstores, if you want deodorant or razor blades or, or body lotion, you have to ask an employee to unlock the display case for you. Uh, and then some stores are increasing security staff, and then some have gotten rid of self-checkout. What are you seeing that's working? What are some of the effective solutions that retailers are implementing to combat theft? All stores are not created equal. So I think you risk rate your stores. There are tougher places to trade in and there are less tough places to trade in. The first job is to understand where you trade and what you trade. And you build up an, a security stroke risk rating for those products and for those stores. And the first thing you start to do is harden the target. You know, for tough stores in tough areas, you think about security, you think about cameras, you think about lighting, you think about the store environment, you think about gates. And for me, the last option is locking it up. Because once you lock it up, you tend to put a lot of friction in the sale. So I think the overall environment in which you are trading should reflect your strategy for shrink and theft. And you should build your whole approach on a store-by-store -store basis. And at the same time, there are other strategies that you can employ to mitigate other areas. So you then get down to, if I minimize my process errors, if I minimize my markdown on fresh, then hopefully I have a bigger bucket to play in, in that secure, solid security space. I think that there's another side to this as well around incentives thinking a little bit about how the store itself and the store manager or the leadership in the store and in the field is incentivized and what really moves the needle for them oftentimes is, is an unspoken and implicit lever that's oftentimes not really explored particularly thoroughly. When we're talking with field leadership, a lot of retailers, you know, things like sales are often a really big part of, of obviously someone's scorecard and how people are evaluated within a company and, and uh, what people work toward. But if you think a little bit about 
the bottom line and the bottom line measures of this and making some of them a bit explicit, that's another way to think about adjusting or changing the behaviors that are actually occurring in the store and doing so in a very systemic way. I think a quick win is to really start to get your people, your merchants, your DC folk, your store, your security teams to really understand the levers that they can pull to influence these numbers. We've now got inflation, um, albeit it is cooling. And there's a lot in the macroeconomic environment that you trade, whether inflation is a cause of shrink or is causing people to steal more is also an interesting factor. So I think understanding of this problem is a big deal. And I would encourage anybody to spend more time in the training and the understanding of shrimp to start to move some of the bigger buckets quickly. And Monica, just one other kind of observation. You know, you mentioned a statistic from NRF, which had suggested, I think it was about 35% of total shrinkage might be external theft. And Mark earlier on had mentioned a number that was around 60-40. Those two statistics actually really tend to agree with each other because the other piece of Mark's 60 that we haven't really spoken about is employee theft. And you're right, you know, about 29%, 30% of shrink, according to the NRF in 2022, was employee theft, right? So 36% external theft, 29% employee theft. And, and you've talked about incentivizing people differently and training them differently. Can you say a little bit more about that? Like, what are retailers doing specifically? What types of incentives are they introducing? How are they changing their training programs? What are the sort of on the ground things that are happening at retailers that are actually moving the needle on this? I'll start with one, which is a retailer outside of the U.S. And one of the things that that they'll do is that they'll set scorecards and incentives for all employees in the store. Normally, a lot of retailers will offer some form of employee discount. But when you take a topic like shrink, which really involves everyone and the decisions and the vigilance of everyone in the store here. And you make that the scorecard metric or you make that one of the scorecard metrics for the store. That really presents an opportunity for everyone to be involved in this. And it presents an opportunity to, as the shrink numbers get better, continue to reinforce or move the target in order to continuously improve. Stores that perform better might receive a better discount. And so when performance gets better, the incentives actually get better for the store members, the store team members. I think what gets us really excited about this topic is that it's, you know, I, I think that we could be entering a new golden age or a new renaissance for what this means from a customer experience standpoint and a store associate standpoint. If we think a little bit about what processes need to be reset, which ones need to be revisited, for example, we think a little bit about where there's opportunities for digitization for people to work together with technology. And if we think a little bit about the incentives that are in, involved here, we could be looking at you know a, a new set of standards and a new opportunity for many retailers to get back to some of the best practices that they've long prided themselves on, but haven't necessarily been able to fulfill for one reason or another. I think and, and Bill and I talk a lot about this. You know, we we, we see the opportunity that technology 
will liberate the associates to serve and sell. You know, what's the AI and the technology not going to do? It, it's not going to encourage humanity. You know, that that point of good service, that thank you, that please, that demonstration of a product, etc. So I think, Bill, th those are great words. It, it, it could herald a golden age where as this vacuum is created by uh, digitization and technology, then we retrain people on service and selling. I think it's an exciting prospect and something Bill and I talk a lot about. Let's talk a little bit about the technology rather than, and then we'll get to the people part of it. So, you know, stores have implemented many kinds of new technology, right? Both to become more efficient and improve the customer experience. And sometimes those are sort of at odds with each other, like self-checkout is an example. So what are some of the most promising specific technologies that you've seen for reducing retail shrink. So you've seen, you know, Mark, you mentioned putting AI into the process, but what specific technologies are being helped by AI right now? So I, I think self-checkout's interesting. I mean, self-checkout's been around a long, long time. You know, an elegant, friction-free self-checkout can be as quick as anything and is embraced across the world. What you then have to do is make sure that's managed properly. So it's manned. So I, I like to think of that person as a host rather than a cashier. They're the host of that area. Their job is for service. And, and a lot of retailers will tell you that in a self-serve supermarket, for example, a grocer, that might be the only interaction a customer's had that day. So you've got to make sure that these are well-trained, service-orientated people that are embracing the opportunity to talk and, uh, and interact with people and fully trained on de-escalation if things become a little bit tetchy, a little bit awkward. So I would say self-checkout's been around a long time, but always offer an alternative. You asked about technology. There are some very elegant solutions that involve self-checkout. Everything from smart gates that will let you out of the area once you pay. We see a lot of that in Europe at the moment where you're, you pay, you're given a QR code that then lets you exit the area. So again, not right for every store in your portfolio, but might be right for others. And then there are some very smart cameras that are looking for any unusual behavior or a malicious intent. You know, did I skip scan? Did I not scan? They shut the checkout down immediately and ping a message to the Cisco host, who then is trained on, ah, you've made a mistake, or perhaps you might want to think about rescanning that for payment. I've seen a very big US grocer deploy that. They actually saw an increase in sales because there was a lot of genuine mistakes where people missed scanning something. And if somebody is being dishonest, then you know, they quickly learn that this store has deployed a piece of technology that's going to make it difficult for you to steal. And then they choose, generally choose not to try that again. So I think, again, you know, not all solutions are right for all stores, but there's two some really good examples. But I would say the best and most secure way is make sure your self-checkout area is manned with well-trained people that know how to make an intervention and are trained on de-escalation of any tension that might, might occur. Are there, would you say, common mistakes that you see retailers making as they try to battle shrink? Like, or things that they should systematically be doing that they're just not doing for some reason? One of the more common types of pain points that we see and common types of, of mistakes is the idea that people think that they're doing everything perfectly already. 
when we sit down with a lot of retailers, and it's not necessarily grocers, it's actually everyone really, when you ask questions about, you know, process compliance, or have you thought about this, or have you thought about that, the answer is more often than not, we're doing that already. And, and we feel like we're doing that well. And this is a topic that I think there's a lot more room to be, frankly, just self-aware of, of where you're performing well and where you're not. Because the more realistic you are with yourself about that up front, the easier it will be to actually address these things and move the needle. At some point, you've got to admit you've got a problem. There will be stores in tough areas doing fantastic jobs. How are they doing it? What approach have they got? And then you start to take action. And there are big areas, you know, book it those big areas and start on the accurate recording of waste, good, solid disciplines in and around your markdown process, your processing around price changes, you know, start to understand how you monitor your book stock. Where are the big areas of problem? And that's where you start. And it sounds so obvious, but quite often you are frozen by the enormity of this. We can give you direction into based in data, based in fact, but based in experience, where to start. We've been talking quite a bit about, about the art that kind of comes with a lot of good merchandising and good execution in stores. But I think there's also a science element to this as well. And, and what you really want to do is you marry these together. And so when we're working with clients, what we'll often start to do before we even put a team on the ground is get and begin stitching together the disparate sources of information. And so that's building a, a repository of data, of processes uh, collected through a lot of interviews and things like that, so that we have a really good idea of the way this retailer actually, the goods flow through a, any given particular retailer. And when you do that and you marry it with both best practices, as well as frankly, the ability to prioritize based on the data and based on what the business cases here might be surfacing, that's often the way that you start with something like this. And the idea here is that you measure it and you track it so that you're not simply squeezing a balloon and pushing the problem to somewhere else in the value chain. There's a decent amount of listening that needs to, to come with this. Oftentimes, clients are very proud of the processes, the SOPs, and the standards that make their own stores unique. The goal of, of any sort of a diagnostic or any sort of a performance improvement that you work with clients on isn't actually to, to eliminate those things and to standardize them across retailers. It's actually designed to, to celebrate those things and to think about what other changes can be made to amplify those benefits for the customer or for the associate. And you've both mentioned, you know, cross-functional collaboration, right? Everybody needs to be involved and yet the accountabilities and the responsibilities need to be very clearly defined, delineated. Uh, what is the ideal sort of team configuration, if there is one, uh, at a retailer for fighting shrink? And, and how is it different from how retailers have traditionally attacked this? Oftentimes it's natural for, for clients to think of this as a store operations driven problem. The best clients that I see and the best retailers that I see managing this look at this inherently cross-functionally and, and therefore it's best kind of moderated or best kind of driven by someone who has an objective, who's relatively objective with this. A great function for this in a lot of clients is finance. Finance is doing some of the measuring, 
but they're not necessarily the ones needing to drive any of the actions or many of the major actions in place. And so when finance or an organization or a function like finance or a transformation office is driving this, it often facilitates a lot more, I call it group therapy, but a lot more cross collaboration between people to, to get things done. Mark, I'm curious what you might say about You know, look, I'm an operator. I tend to think the leadership is likely best served as an operator, but I'm open to any function leading. But based on, you know, how operators think, this crystallizes in a store. However, the team makeup has to include finance, merchants, operators, logistics, DC. So you have one leader, I'd suggest that should report straight into the COO or better still, the CEO. And the components of the team, whether that's virtual or line, must include, as you said, the finance team must include somebody from merchandising, operations and logistics, and it's ongoing. It's a cross-functional team that's led likely by operations. That's my personal preference, but, you know, people are people. Great people sit outside other functions. I think operators tend to have the thick skin that's needed for this. That's the only thing I'd probably add. What advice would you give to a CEO who is concerned about shrinkage and asks you, what is the single most important thing my company should do right now? If a CEO asked me that question, I would ask him or her to just answer the following question, which is, what is the customer experience and customer value proposition that I am trying to consistently deploy in all of my retail environments? And then I would think about my shrink and how I address it in the service of that. Oftentimes it's easy to lose sight of what really makes you unique or what experience you're trying to deliver. The mandate that we're hearing a lot of times is an and mandate. We need a great experience and profitable, sustainable growth. And so I would, I would ask for, and I would suggest an and type of a direction to a company. And I would think a little bit about the experience we're trying to deliver in the service of that. Personally, I would raise the profile inside and I would assess the strategy and the team in place. And I would give them the right resources and the, the right air cover to really tackle this. It needs the CEO to create the environment where it is seen as a cross-functional opportunity. The higher the profile of the team that you have in place will well serve you in the battle against shrink. And ensure that your team's meeting regularly cross-functionally to tackle these issues. You know, if you look at the size of this problem, it's probably the last free money on the table. It's tough, but you can make a big difference to your bottom line because any improvement in shrimp will drop immediately to the bottom line. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the McKinsey on Consumer and Retail podcast. A transcript of this conversation will be posted on McKinsey.com very soon. To suggest topics for future episodes, email us at consumer underscore podcast at mckinsey.com. To stay connected with us, subscribe to our email alerts on mckinsey.com. Thanks again for listening.